Hello, my name is Michelle Haig. I'm the CEO and founder of HEED. Welcome to this episode of Early Years Connect, where today we dive deep into the heart of sustainability in schools. We talk about hidden toxins, share success stories, and shed light on the importance of conscious choices for a greener future. As schools around the world embrace sustainability initiatives, the choice of materials we purposely bring onto our school sites is a key factor so that we're creating environmentally friendly and healthy learning environments. We hear so much about sustainability. We see so much sustainability marketing out there. And yet, how sustainable are we really in schools right now? Joining us today is Richard from Outdoor Classrooms. Richard was recommended to me by my colleague, Sean, and I understand why. Richard's a leader in the sustainability field, farming his two woodlands to produce and create sustainable resources. His campaign, Healthy Gardens, Healthy Children, Healthy Planet is flourishing. His phonics, maths, and other resources place sustainability at the heart of every classroom. When Richard says sustainable, he means it. Richard, welcome. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's really quite uh, an honour to be invited. Thank you. For those of you who are listening on audio, what we can see on the uh, the video here of today's podcast is Richard in the farm building, I do believe, Richard, of your outdoor classrooms business. Yeah, it's a, a scruffy, mucky farm, but uh, it's the business end of where we do the manufacturing. Fantastic. So um, let's dive straight in, Richard. Can you begin by telling us a bit about what sustainability means to you? Oh, that's a big question. Um, but uh, I suppose the stock answer is uh, meeting the needs of the present <clears throat> without jeopardising the needs of future generations. Um, but for me, I suppose it's more really uh, for the looking after the next generation so it's the decisions we make now and how it affects the next generation and the, the work that you're doing in outdoor classrooms at the moment Richard certainly uh, celebrates and harnesses that tell us a bit about the woodland that you farm so first of all I started in uh, well it's a long time back now uh, 95 working in special schools and I realized straight away that the timber that was being used in uh, for outdoor use was not suitable for for children that have sensitivities um, so it was chemically treated copper chrome and arsenic CCA uh, timber um, and straight away I realised that's no good for, for children that are licking things and putting their fingers in their ears and, and uh, you know, just touching this wood, it's got chemical toxins in it. So I thought, well, what can we do about that? So I looked around all the builders, merchants, and I couldn't find the right sort of timber. So I started on recycling scaffold boards from builders, yards, and that sort of thing. But that was sort of a limited use. But we, we still we made planters and that sort of thing. Um, but in the end up, uh, I approached uh, Yorkshire Water. Uh, found that they had some woodland to manage and they couldn't find anybody to do it, anybody with the the, the skills or nobody wanted to do it. Um, so I hooked up with Bradford Council and uh, we got training from the Forestry Commission from Dolby Forest. 
And um, uh, I started a volunteer group to harvest wood and to actually uh, harvest the, the woods doing the forestry job and to actually process it to do uh, uh, environmental education gardens. So that's in, in brief how we started. Amazing. And tell us about the wood that you're farming there right now. So we manage two woodlands and uh, they're both, both privately owned. Um, one of them um, is, is larch, which is a naturally durable species of wood. And uh, there's a, a bit of a problem with this particular species at the moment. Um, it, from a, a national forestry point of view, there's a, a disease that's been imported in uh, from Europe, uh, Phytophthora remora. And so um, a lot of these trees are actually coming down because there's a threat of a pathogen coming from the next valley. So we're actually taking these trees out as a, a bit of a fire break. There's nothing wrong with the wood. It's absolutely fantastic timber. Um, and we're able to use it for education gardens. The other woodland, I was very fortunate once I'd left um, Yorkshire Waters uh, Forestry, we'd, we'd finished 273 acres of thinnings for Yorkshire Water. Uh, and all that, you know, the, the product that came from that went to thousands of schools. So we, we moved on from that after, you know, years. And uh, I was very fortunate to start working for um, Tony Spencer, who was the retired um, conservator north of the Forestry Commission. And so he cherry picked a woodland to buy uh, when he retired. And it was Western Red Cedar, which is naturally durable wood. It's a North uh, American species of wood and it's naturally durable and um, it's just the ideal timber for using in education settings and uh, no need at all for any chemical treatments um, and uh, it's just the perfect species we've found uh, so uh, yeah two two privately owned woodlands uh, both with naturally durable species of woodland uh, with wood <laughs> So, so talk us through, Richard, because I know you're really good about the uh, hidden toxins as well in wood and, and what an impact this has um, potentially on children that have got access to this on, on school site. So you, um, you fell, you harvest the wood, you take it into your workshop. Well, what's the kind of process that this wood is going through before it is delivered into our schools? Um, so the standard thing is to use uh, pressure treated wood. Um, so the National Forest is um, made up of Sitka spruce and uh, some silver fir, which is perishable. So there's, uh, there isn't naturally uh, durable chemical compounds in there. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's not going to rot overnight, but um, you'd normally use uh, Sitka spruce for things like uh, these uh, timbers behind my head there uh, for, for roofing timbers. Um, so they'd be under cover and they're very strong and uh, ideal for that purpose. But if you were to use them outside, they would rot very quickly in contact with the ground. So what happens is um, uh, timber for out outdoor use, they're put in a vacuum chamber, uh, they suck out the atmosphere and then they uh, flood the chamber with uh, a chemical concoction. Now, uh, when I started 30 years ago, it was copper, chrome and arsenic. And what's happened is they've diluted the chemical uh, on review from time to time. And it's now mainly analogues of copper, 
but they've started to add in uh, herbicides and fungicides and other chemicals uh, that are, were approved for other agricultural uses. Um, one of the big problems is there's no um, labelling system, so we don't actually know what's on the wood. So you might see a piece of wood in the, the playground. It could have been there for 30 years. It could be copper, chrome and arsenic, or it could have been there for 10 years and they've reduced the chemical potency of it. So you literally don't know what's leaching into the, the soil around the, the post, say, for example, in a climbing frame. And Leeds University, University did a, um, a study and they found that um, the uh, the chemical can actually leach into the soil up to 1.2 metres, that's four foot around a post, over uh, 25 years. Um, so, so the chemical's actually leaching out of the wood. Of course, children are touching this with their hands, with the, with the skin. They might be sitting on a bench with shorts on in the summer and uh, the chemicals being leached out um, and it could basically go into their bodies. Uh, and obviously with lots of sensitive children uh, now more than ever, as the SEN numbers go up, uh, there's these chemicals which could cross the blood-brain barrier and that's very alarming. Yeah, so so your message to schools that are out there, because I know people could be listening thinking um, we could have some of that on our school site. Your message to them would be what? To make sure that children are hand washing when they come in from outside? What What's the basics around safety here? Well, I think it's just to identify um, the toxins that are in the playground within the school grounds and to write it on a development plan to... Um, to replace them over time because the thing is it's everything's so expensive and budgets are, are so tight you can't do everything it's just not practical um but uh, for decision makers who are buying new products um it's certainly something that should be considered before pressing go with the, the purchase yeah, this is really interesting, isn't it, Richard? Because I know very often uh, as a ex-head teacher, we're looking for the best value for money. Budgets are down. Uh, and yet that sustainability, uh, it, it has to take priority over those few extra pounds that that you might save. And I was reading earlier in the um, the policy paper, sustainability and climate change, which includes schools. And it says the uh, the UK is the world leading education sector in sustainability by 2030. That's that's their vision. And the conversation we've just had, Richard, makes me think that actually some of this sustainability is is pretty invisible. If we're talking about hidden toxins in the ground, um, that that's pretty hard to see, to track, and measure the impact of, isn't it? Well, this is the thing, really, and. Um... One of the one of the resources that we make um, is to help children see that there's life all around us. Um, so uh, we we do quite a lot with mini beasts, but with all life that's all around us. Um, so um, one of the best ways to demonstrate that's through composting, and that's a good way to um, demonstrate recycling. But composting, we we're using microbes in the soil to break things down. So there's life all around us that's invisible and there's lots of toxins in the modern world that are invisible as well. Um, so you've got toxins from the wood. You've also got toxins from uh, tires. There's too many 
tyres end up in the school ground. Um, you've also got um, plastics, flexible plastics in particular. And then you've got resin-based compounds like the, um, the rubber crumb surfaces. Uh, they're off-gassing chemicals, which nobody can see. They don't know what they are, but they're definitely doing a harm to the environment and indeed to ourselves. Uh, so there's lots of invisible toxins. Um, and I think really what we should be focusing on is keeping things as natural as possible and inviting nature into uh, education setting gardens. You know, I, I'm really thinking of a number of schools that I can picture right now in their playgrounds and tyres in particular being used for dividers, for planting, um, for for children with almost a cover made on them and to to chalk over. And when we think about the tyres in the playgrounds at the moment, Richard, would would you really advise and guide to get rid of the tyres that you uh, if you can, and then just replace with the natural products? So uh, they did a wipe test. Uh, I'd have to look up the study, but they did a wipe test. They they got the tyre, they wiped it with a wipe, they tested what came off it. It was high in zinc oxide, cadmium, and arsenic, and then a load of other chemicals which you can't even pronounce. Um, so there's lots of synthetic chemicals in the tyres. Um, I think one of the things is that adults are very quick to palm off their rubbish that they, they can't get rid of into to education settings and they, they think, oh, it's be okay for the kids, so, you know, they can play with them. But really, if you want to get rid of a tyre, it's contaminated waste. If you put it in a skip, the skip company will charge you a lot of money because it's classed as contaminated waste. So I can see the the value in the odd few tyres for, say, a bike track, um, which uh, to stop the children, you know, going too far and crashing into something or going over an embankment or something like that. But the excess of tyres... Um, I think it, it's it, it needs to be addressed. And when you touch the the tires, you're getting black on your hands a lot of the time. You see some of them shined up, don't you? Because children have touched them that many times that they've actually made them shiny. But when the sun's beating down on it on them, it's breaking down the chemical compounds, and children touch them, and the the muck comes off on their hands. And um, so. Um, yeah, I don't think they're, they're a great idea, really. No, and I think people listening to the podcast who are working on school sites at the moment will um, really step up the hand washing and the cleanliness as children are going around outside and talking to children about this subject as well, so that children have really increased awareness of those hidden toxins and the importance of themselves, you know, um, staying healthy and well washing those hands as they, as they come in. So... Replacing the tyres then, uh, Richard, if, if you got rid of your tyres and they were barriers for you, what, what kind of wood or what kind of products would you recommend that they put in place? Well, it just depends on the application of the, the tyre. For a planter, you can use wood for the planters, which should be far better. But again, you don't want pressure treated timber for the planter because uh, the treatment can tr uh, leach out into the soil. And um, all those chemicals are picked up by the plants. So if you're wanting to grow healthy food to demonstrate food growing for, for the community and for, for, uh, for parents to see what you're doing, um, growing brassicas in particular, cabbages, say, for example, 
uh, it'd be a very bad idea because it'd pick those to toxins up. So uh, I wouldn't use tires for planters or pressure treated wood. Um, uh, so it just depends on, there's lots of different applications for, for tires. They, they get used for sand pits and all sorts, don't they, for, uh, for small world activities. So you wouldn't need to use a tire for small world. You could use uh, one of our products, which is a, a stump, uh, which we've hollowed out and we've carved a, a cave entrance into it and we call it a, a volcano island. Um, so that's another example. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, there's lots of tyres and they can just be used for dividing the playground down or zoning an area. Well, there's lots of different things that you can do with that. We make a zoning panel, say, for example, with different activities and artwork on. Um, so, so that can be used. Um, so I think the excess of tyres um, needs to be addressed. There's also those two schools in Derbyshire that so uh, regrettably got burnt down and ar arsonist piled the tyres up. Uh, used paper and card from the bin and, and actually torched the schools. Um, and so now uh, a lot of insurance companies are quite concerned about excess tyres in the, the school playground, quite rightly. Okay, so I, I think definitely a strong message from this podcast is if you're an early years leader out there and you see lots of tyres on your playground, go to your head teacher and have this conversation, get them to listen to the podcast have a rethink on tyres and, and really refocus on the sustainability of your grounds, um, especially in light of your conversation, Richard. I'm, I'm so glad you're here today because it, it really is fascinating. And I was looking at the um, WWF have got a great website and they have a school sustainability guide. And one of the things that they're very clear about is that schools have the power to take action. And that's on two fronts, isn't it? It's really modelling the environments that we want children to grow up in, that access to the natural environment and to nature, um, but also to show them that we can make small changes that will make a big difference, um, but we can also make those big changes as well, but really involve children in the decision-making, in the conversations that are happening so that they're incredibly aware as they grow up. Well, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, um, as I was saying, I, I think um, there's a couple of ways that we're um, do, uh, managing to come up with resources uh, to help with this. Uh, one is food growing. So we do a, uh, an onion, onion and garlic growing kit as part of the Healthy Gardens project. Um, so onions are very good because um, it's the base of uh, lots of cultures cooking chop an onion, spin it around the pan, and, and you're off adding more ingredients to make a healthy meal. Um, but onions uh, are very interesting because they've got quite a lot of real goodness in them. Um, they're high in sulfur, and this is uh, one of the things that uh, we need to add more into the diet is sulfur. Uh, heparin sulfate um, and, and sulfur in, in the body is lacking uh, from uh, ultra-processed foods. So ultra-processed foods are very low in sulfur. So uh, onions, garlic, brassicas, eggs, they're all fantastic foods for adding sulfur into the body. And it helps the blood flow around the body a lot better. And all sorts of different enzymatic and chemical reactions in the bo body uh, uh, require sulfur, like um, the vitamin D, say, for example. Uh, onions have also got vitamin B1, but it's actually the 
the most bioavailable form of B1, which is allothiamine. And B1 is anything to do with um, nerve and brain connections. So what we're seeing in early years at the moment is we're seeing lots of problems with toileting. And uh, so obviously that's a multifactorial problem. Um, it could be speech and language uh, difficulties. It could be dehydration. Um, but B1 as a strong um, suspect um, because it's it's depleted in the ultra-processed diet. Uh, so B1's anything to do with uh, nerve connections. So uh, what we're trying to do is get bladder-brain connections um, with um, uh, to, to let children or children know that they need the toilet in time so that they're not got this urinary urgency. Uh, so B1 is high in onions. And uh, uh, there's also other uh, chemical compounds which are really useful, like quercetin and that sort of thing. But onions is a good starting point for looking at growing food uh, in an in a education setting, but also in a, com you know, community, a community example for growing food and, and cooking. Um, yeah. Do you know, it reminds me of um, a few years ago, I was working in a school just at the edge of uh, Birmingham City, and we had a community gardener who would come in once a week on a Friday, and he would work with the children and tend to the vegetables, and the vegetable patch was right in the middle of the um, children's learning garden, so they could see these vegetables just growing day on day on day, but having a community gardener come in as well, um, great intergenerational work. And that really made a difference to how much the children valued and respected the vegetables that were grown. Yeah, another, school, another school that I'm working with right now, um, they have their own allotment. Uh, they are the smallest school in Worcestershire. So they, uh, they have a very dedicated um, TA. She is phenomenal. They grow the vegetables, they harvest them and then they cook them for the community as part of a harvest lunch. So Perfect. some real powerful, when we look at the, um, the national curriculum and the EYFS in terms of healthy eating, healthy foods, um, the use of cutters and knives and peelers, you know, it's a great way to be learning this through real hands-on meaningful experiences. That's right. And of course, we want the children to teach the parents because we've missed a generation or two of cooking um, with uh, home economics being, uh, uh, well, taken out of the curriculum, I suppose. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think uh, teachers can't do everything. The remit is, uh, you know, you can't possibly bring all the, the parents in and teach them how to cook. But it needs to be done, really. And I think we're relying on the, the children teaching the parents. Uh, and I think that's a good way of, of actually doing it. Um, so the more the, um, the, the children can have uh, uh, exposure to food growing, food preparation, you know, harvesting and food preparation and eating what they've cooked, the more it will filter down further into the community. I have to say the TA that I'm talking about as well makes the most delicious carrot cake and uh, she'll be smiling as she listens to this, Richard, because I do say um, the one way the school can keep a really positive budget in these really harsh times is to be selling the carrot cake that she makes because uh, it's it's genuinely second to none. Uh, it really is. It really is tasty. Carrots 
from the school allotment and it's um it's beautiful so tell us more about your um healthy gardens healthy children healthy planet program yeah so it's an annual membership fee of 48 pounds but that's to cover postage and administration of some of the administration costs and then we have uh, three free resources which we can post out in a big box um, so I've mentioned uh, one of them, which is a growing surround. Now, it's not like a planter. It's it's actually a frame um, which you put on top of the soil. And there's a, a good reason for that. So you put the frame down on the top of the soil. And there's increments on there. So there's maths involved with it. There's 10 centimetre increments uh, to make a grid for planting the onions or the garlic out. Um, but what you do is you add the soil to your growing area and then when you've finished harvesting you lift the surround up and you leave the soil there and the reason for that is we're trying to build up deep soils and deep living soils because soil uh, is one of the most important things on the planet and it's so undervalued it's such a dull subject that people switch off as soon as you mention the word soil or compost and um, but really soil is more important than more valuable than all the gold and diamonds in the world because if we didn't have it we wouldn't have any food and we wouldn't be eating the diamonds and the gold uh, because uh, well soil's important <laughs> and so, so um, no longer richard no longer a diamonds a girl's best friend it's now a uh, soil really so it, soil's a girl's best yeah, friend now not diamonds it's, it's it's muck under your fingernails that's right yeah <laughs> And um, so um, in any event, soil is being challenged dramatically in agriculture at the moment because we're a factory agriculture, uh, growing food on a factory industrial scale. And we're using lots of chemicals on the land. They're antibiotic chemicals and it's basically killing the life in the soils. So that means that the soil can't hold on to carbon. So. Um, we're actually ended up with lots of soil depleted of life and because there's no life in the soil to work symbiotically with the crops or the, the plants that we're growing the plants are, are deficient in nutrition and um, and uh, the the microbes in the soil actually help the plants to take up nutrients and minerals so we're ending up with food that looks great but it's very low in nutrients uh, so one of the ways that we're addressing this is to have this little demonstration of an onion planter, an onion growing surround. So you put that down, you make soil uh, by composting, you feed the soil and uh, you grow food in, and you're constantly building that depth of soil up and you're storing carbon in that soil. And um, so uh, that's the first resource. The second resource is a mini beast habitat. Uh, so what the children do is they collect resources from around the uh, the the garden, so whether it be leaves or twigs or anything like that, and they make a nice home for their mini beast friends, and it's called a home to call our own mini beast home. So you'll you'll see lots of examples of that on our Instagram page of uh, how parents and um, education practitioners have. Uh, built this with their with their children and um, so that's that's just 
getting appreciation that there's life all around us that the children can see. So that the what they call the macrophytes, the the, the larger uh, animals, the mini beasts, um, and have a very important role in the garden. Uh, we have notes all about it, which are very interesting. Uh, so that's another one of the free resources. The third resource is uh, a micro friends recycling composter. So what we're looking at doing there is demonstrating recycling. So instead of putting a plastic bottle in the bin, which is just like putting something else in the bin for a child, we're actually taking healthy snack waste, we're splitting it from the milk cartons and we're putting the apple cores, etc., into the micro friends recycling home and then uh, demonstrating how we can break that or how the microbes break that down to make soil and then that soil can then be used for food growing in the surrounds so we've got uh, three really elegant little solutions for demonstrating a little sustainable system there in in the school and for people richard who are in maybe um city schools who've got very um, very sparse green spaces or who are not particularly surrounded by uh, nature or a school field, how can they maximise these products? Well, you can just use them in exactly the same way. So if you haven't got um, soil to put the, the uh, growing surround down on, you just put some cardboard down on top of the tarmac and you start it from there. Um, and again, it's the same thing with the mini beasts. Mini beasts will, will find a way. They'll 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 turn up from somewhere. As soon as you put something down on the ground, and you lift it up after a, a couple of evenings, you'll find a worm under there or a woodlouse. They, they're they're there. They're all around us. And uh, we might try and sterilise the world and the planet, but they're they're there and they do find a way. Yeah, okay, that's really good to hear, isn't it? Because I, I can think of schools that have got vast green spaces that will know exactly where they could build on this. Maybe they already have a forest school site and they can extend their forest school site um, with these resources. But I can equally think of ones where literally all schools have got is a, a piece of tarmac that's the playground. So it's good to hear that actually children can get involved in this project no matter what school or earlier setting they're at. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes, um, instead of having rubber crumb surfaces, what we'll do is we'll put edging around on top of tarmac um, and we'll put wood chip on top of the, the tarmac. And it's it's still there. It's still a resource that's going to survive there if you wanted to change. You can, you can take up the wood chip again, but you've got a, a fall surface there in the meantime. And again, covering up the, the rubber crumb surfaces where budgets are be stolen by getting rid of the rubber crumb surfaces um it's quite interesting actually um when we have taken the wood chip off a rubber crumb surface what we found is there's no life in the wood chip so you've got a fall surface the the um uh the the rubber rubberized uh you know what i'm talking about don't you the 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 resin bound rubber fall surfaces yeah. we've put the the wood chip on uh, we've had to move an area to extend it uh, um, in a setting. Uh, we've dug it up and there was nothing there, no worms, no wood lice, nothing. And the reason is because it's off-gassing uh, acetylene gas and the mini beasts know not to go anywhere near it because it'll kill them. So that's very telling, really. 
you know, this is serious stuff, isn't it, Richard? And and I, I think at times I find it quite frustrating when I look at, um, especially posts like Instagram with early years play provocations, and we're still using things like cotton buds in play provocations. We're using um, sponges at the moment, which are full of plastic fibres, and we're using them as a single-use throwaway resource. And, and there really are different ways out there to set up really natural, interesting, rich learning experiences for our younger children. Some of your resources aren't outdoor resources, are they? So um, I can think of some of your products, such as the part, part, whole maths trays on Instagram. And I have know you have some phonics tiles as well. So some of the yeah, resources... They can be used outside. Oh, okay. All right. So we're indoor, outdoor, but you've got a great range of um, indoor resources as well as outdoor. Yeah, they're interchangeable. Uh, the thing is, it's not plywood. So, um, uh, yeah, um, a lot of resources that you'll see in education catalogues uh, imported in plywood and um, they delaminate when they're outside, when they get wet and 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 um, dry out and wet wet and dry out the glue fails and they delaminate well there's another problem there actually because oftentimes um they use glues which are chemical based synthetic glues some of them are formaldehyde based glues so you've got to be very careful and there's, and there's no warning labels to say what glue's been used or or uh, where the timbers come from from that uh, point of view as well um, so, um, yeah, all our resources are, are solid wood and it's all from our own woodland management projects. Yeah, that's phenomenal, isn't it? And and you invite people onto your site, Richard, is that right? They can come and have a look and get involved? Yeah, so um, for those education settings that have got limited budget, um, uh, what we do is we say that, you, that they're welcome to come uh, and uh, teachers and uh, childcare practitioners, they come and they fill the car up with uh, free resources. And so it might be offcuts of planks, it might be uh, log slices, um, bark, um, like you were saying about uh, uh, play provocations. Um, we've got all sorts of natural resources which can be used for setups, play setups. Um, and uh, they're welcome to come and, and collect uh, a villa car up. Uh, we have um, teachers come in every week, every you know Saturday morning, after school on an evening, and filling the car up with uh, freebies. And um, we're happy to give it away because it's it's better that we're getting the flexible plastics and the, the plastic fantastic resources out of settings and the children are actually touching things that are going to give them a healthy inoculation to the real world rather than having toxins getting into the bodies um, to basically confuse their, uh, their, their communication systems in the bodies. Honestly, you're doing such a, such a great job there, Richard. And I know after this podcast, people will be hopefully thinking more deeply about sustainability and the personal action that they can take to make a change in their schools and in their settings. If we were to give people three key takeaways to take away today, um, 
quick action that they could take, the quick wins that would make a big difference, and then the more long-term sustainable outcomes. Um, where would you suggest they start? Um, well, we want to invite nature into the garden. That's that's the thing. And being neat and tidy and getting rid of the leaves this time of year in the bin isn't the best thing to do. I don't think we're adding something to the landfill site. We could use the leaves to make soil. That's, you know, right off the bat, something that's happening now this minute. Caretakers are collecting leaves up and they're putting them into landfill. Um, so that's that's one thing. Um, start growing food. You can grow things through the winter straight away. You could start just by growing chives. So easy to grow, but start growing food. Um, uh, separating the um, uh, the healthy snack waste from the uh, the cartons and uh, start composting that in an area. Even if you're burying it into to a uh, to the soil, um, so that uh, furry friends that get into it. Even if you dig a trench and you you bury that to make compost, that's a, a good thing to do. Um, trying your best to inspire parents not to feed the children on um, ultra-processed food would be the biggest thing. If we could do that, it'd be so good, so beneficial for the next generation. My personal view is we're poisoning the next generation at the moment. Children need good nutrition. They need nutritious food, they need vegetables, and they need protein. And, yeah, uh, I know um, my CPD group have got some great courses out as well on um, children and children's nutrition. It's, it, it's definitely a subject that's getting more airtime quite rightly at the moment, and a real agenda to cut down obesity in our children I think you're absolutely right. We've got to work as this one connected team, haven't we, to enable that to happen? That's right. And at the end of the day, schools are now the hub of the community. It used to be the church, but it's now the school. And so if you speak to anybody in the streets, they know somebody who's got a child at school. So schools are the hub of the community. So as the hub of the community, the school setting should be setting the example for the whole community. And I think if we can set up sustainable systems in the school and analyse them down by looking, looking at um, the hierarchy of needs for sustainability, which is, of course, uh, oxygen, so that'll be looking at planting trees, uh, natural light, so that's getting, getting out in nature in, in real sunlight, You've got food, so how our food's produced. You've got water, so there's the water courses and collecting water and the <coughs> the the, uh, the water cycle. Then you've got shelter, so you've got everything from den building to looking at um, how how we actually uh, uh, build uh, the you know uh, houses and that sort of thing um, through to um, uh, clothing. And then, of course, this community and communication. So if you look at every single thing in the school from that lens to analyse it down for our basic needs, our hierarchy of needs, it helps you to view things through a sustainability lens. 
Uh, Richard, you're definitely inspirational to talk to today. I know certainly the number of schools that he's in uh, across the across the year. You know, it's it's really for us to look at as well when we're transforming environments, how we're really taking on board what you've said today and stopping and thinking deeply about sustainability, about those hidden toxins. Uh, and perhaps doing risk assessments with settings as well so that they understand the toxins in the environment and um, how to prevent children's access to them. So definitely feel inspired by this conversation today and, and as if there's there's more learning for us all to be doing out there. Certainly the um, the great work that you're doing, Richard, needs to spread far and wide um, what's the best way for people to get in contact with outdoor classrooms? Your Instagram page is awash with followers. Um, uh, yeah, I think Instagram. Um, I'm I'm not great with technology. Um, I've spent more time in the woods and outside than playing on computers. So I'm on my mobile phone. I use Instagram a lot to communicate with, and I've just about managed to put posts and stories on. So uh, yeah, um, uh, but. Uh, yeah, Instagram, definitely. Um, I'll pick up a message there. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm, I'm really pleased that we've had the chance to talk today. And um, what I would say to early year staff members and leaders out there is, you know, go go to your head teacher, go to your CEO, um, send them the link to this podcast. Uh, it's one where we can all think deeper and just pause for that sustainability and really question, you know, we we have the power to make a difference in schools. Um, we should be taking that seriously. Like you said right at the start, this is about this is about the future generations. This is about the protection of the world for them. Absolutely. So, um, Richard, thank you for your time. I feel as if I could talk to you all day long. It's a fascinating subject and one that's close to our heart um, here at Heed. We'll definitely put all of your connections in the um, in the show notes so people can connect you. But for now, Richard, thank you deeply. This is a podcast that needed to happen and one that people need to really reflect on. Thanks for your time today. No, thank you.